0: Rebecca Wiley, Chad and Jennifer, and Teresa Kavanaugh. Thank you all so, so much for donating and being a part of making this podcast. And for anyone who doesn't know, all of these wonderful new names that I just read are uh, recent supporters of Sleepy on Patreon.com, which is a wonderful website where you can support the people who make the things that you like so if you listen to sleepy every night and maybe it helps you get a better night's rest then consider going to patreon.com sleepy radio and donating even a dollar a month it goes a really long way and at five dollars a month you get access to all kinds of new poetry readings that are not on the regular podcast feed. But no matter how much you donate, I will read your name in the opening credits of the next show after you do. So again, if you would like to be a part of making this show, then just go to patreon.com slash sleepy Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski. And the cover-up for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. Well, it is that time of year which many Sleepy listeners look forward to. I know I do. Um, It's October. It is autumn, pretty leaf, spooky story, Halloween time which means that this month, um, for the fourth year now, we'll be reading some slightly spookier stories that will still be hopefully soothing enough to send you off into a deep, deep sleep, but also are a little bit spookier than all the other stories that we read on the show. So tonight, by very popular demand, I will be reading The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it, feel yourself melt into your bed, get real comfortable, close your eyes, and let me read to you. During the whole of a dull, dark, and soundless day in the autumn of the year, when the clouds hung oppressively low in the heavens, I had been passing alone on horseback through a singularly dreary tract of country, and at length found myself as the shades of the evening drew on within view of the melancholy house of Usher. I know not how it was, but with the first glimpse of the building, a sense of insufferable gloom pervaded my spirit. I say insufferable, for the feeling was unrelieved by any of that half-pleasurable, because-poetic sentiment with which the mind usually receives even the sternest natural images of the desolate or terrible I looked upon the scene before me, upon the mere house and the simple landscape features of the domain, upon the bleak walls, upon the vacant, eye-like windows, upon a few rank sedges, and upon a few white trunks of decayed trees, with an utter depression of soul, which I can compare to no earthly sensation more properly than to the afterdream of the reveler upon opium the bitter lapse into everyday life, the hideous dropping off of the veil. There was an iciness, a sickening of the heart, an unredeemed dreariness of thought which no goading of the imagination could torture into aught of the sublime. What was it? I paused to think. What was it that so unnerved me in the contemplation of the house of Usher it was a mystery all insoluble nor could I grapple with the shadowy fancies that crowded upon me as I pondered I was forced to fall back upon the unsatisfactory conclusion that while beyond doubt there are combinations of very simple natural objects which have the power of thus affecting us still, the analysis of this power lies among considerations beyond our depth it was possible, I reflected that a mere different arrangement of the particulars of the scene of the details of the picture would be sufficient to modify or perhaps annihilate its capacity for sorrowful impression and Acting upon this idea, I reined my horse to the precipitous brink of a black and lurid tarn that lay in unruffled luster by the dwelling, and gazed down, but with a shudder even more thrilling than before. Upon the remodeled and inverted images of the grey sedge, and the ghastly tree stems, and the vacant and eye-like windows, Nevertheless, in this mansion of gloom, I now propose to myself a sojourn of some weeks. Its proprietor, Roderick Usher, has been one of my boon companions in boyhood. But many years has elapsed since our last meeting. A letter, however, had lately reached me in a distant part of the country, a letter from him, which in its wily, importunate nature, had admitted of no other than a personal reply. The MS gave evidence of nervous agitation. The writer spoke of acute bodily illness, of a mental disorder which oppressed him, and of an earnest desire to see me as his best and indeed his only personal friend, with a view of attempting the cheerfulness of my society some alleviation of his malady it was the manner in which all this and much more was said it was the apparent heart that went with his request which allowed me no room for hesitation and I accordingly obeyed forthwith what I still considered a very singular summons although As boys, we had been even intimate associates, yet I really knew little of my friend. His reserve had always been excessive and habitual. I was aware, however, that his very ancient family had been noted, time out of mind, for a peculiar sensibility of temperament, displaying itself through long ages in many works of exalted art. And manifested of late in repeated deeds of munificent yet unobtrusive charity, as well as in a passionate devotion to the intricacies perhaps even more than to the orthodox and easily recognizable beauties of musical science I had learned too the very remarkable fact that the stem of the usher race, all time honored as it was, had put forth at no period any enduring branch. In other words, that the entire family lay in the direct line of descent and had always, with very trifling and very temporary variation, so lain. It was this deficiency, I considered, while running over in thought, the perfect keeping of the character of the premises with the accredited character of the people, and while speculating upon the possible influence which the one in the long lapse of centuries might have exercised upon the other, it was this deficiency, perhaps, of collateral issue and the consequent deviating transmission from fire to sun of the patrimony with the name which had at length so identified the two as to merge the original title of the estate in the quaint and equivocal appellation of the House of Usher. An appellation which seemed to include, in the minds of the peasantry who used it, both the family and the family mansion. I have said that the sole effect of my somewhat childish experiment, that of looking down within the tarn, had been to deepen the first singular impression. There can be no doubt that the consciousness of the rapid increase of my superstition, or why should I not so term it, served mainly to accelerate the increase itself. Such, I have long known, is the paradoxical law of all sentiments having terror as a basis. And it might have been, for this reason only, that, when I again uplifted my eyes to the house itself from its image in the pool, there grew in my mind a strange fancy, a fancy so ridiculous, indeed, that I but mention it. To show the vivid force of the sensations which oppressed me, I had so worked upon my imagination as really to believe that about the whole mansion and domain there hung an atmosphere peculiar to themselves and their immediate vicinity, an atmosphere which had no affinity with the air of heaven, but which had reeked up from the decayed trees and the gray wall and the silent tarn a pestilent and mystic vapor dull, sluggish faintly discernible and leaden-hued Shaking off from my spirit what must have been a dream I scanned more narrowly the real aspect of the building Its principal feature seemed to be that of an excessive antiquity The discoloration of ages had been great. Minute fungi overspread the whole exterior, hanging in a fine tangled web from the eaves. Yet all this was apart from any extraordinary dilapidation. No portion of the masonry had fallen, and there appeared to be wild inconsistency between its still perfect adaptation of parts in the crumbling condition of the individual stones. In this, there was much that reminded me of the spacious totality of old woodwork, which has rotted for long years in some neglected vault with no disturbance from the breath of the external air. Beyond this indication of extensive decay, however, the fabric gave little token of instability. Perhaps the eye of a scrutinizing observer might have discovered a barely perceptible fissure, which extending from the roof of the building in the front made its way down the wall in a zigzag direction until it became lost in the sullen waters of the tarn. Noticing these things, I rode over a short causeway to the house. A servant-in-waiting took my horse, and I entered the gothic archway of the hall. A valet of stealthy step thence conducted me in silence through many dark and intricate passages in my progress to the studio of his master. Much that I encountered on the way contributed, I know not how, to heighten the vague sentiments of which I had already spoken. While the objects around me, while the carvings of the ceilings, the somber tapestries of the walls, the ebon blackness of the floors, and the phantasmagoric armorial trophies which rattled as I strode, were but matters to which or to such as which I had been accustomed from my infancy which I hesitated not to acknowledge how familiar was all this I still wondered to find how unfamiliar were the fancies which ordinary images were stirring up on one of the staircases I met the physician of the family his countenance I thought or a mingled expression of low cunning and perplexity. He accosted me with trepidation and passed on. The valet now threw open a door and ushered me into the presence of his master. The room in which I found myself was very large and lofty. The windows were long, narrow, and pointed, and at so vast a distance from the black oaken floor as to be altogether inaccessible from within. Feeble gleams of encrimsoned light made their way through the trellis panes and served to render sufficiently distinct and more prominent objects around. The eye, however, struggled in vain to reach the remoter angles of the chamber, or the recesses of the vaulted and fretted ceiling. Dark draperies hung upon the walls. The general furniture was profuse, comfortless, antique and tattered. Many books and musical instruments lay scattered about, but failed to give any vitality to the scene. I felt that I breathed an atmosphere of sorrow, an air of stern, deep, and irredeemable gloom hung over and pervaded all. Upon my entrance, Usher rose from a sofa on which he had been lying at full length and greeted me with a vivacious warmth which had much in it. I at first thought of an overdone cordiality of the constrained effort of the ennui man of the world a glance however at his countenance convinced me of his perfect sincerity we sat down and for some moments while he spoke not I gazed upon him with a feeling half of pity half of awe surely Man had never before so terribly altered in so brief a period as had Roderick Usher. It was with difficulty that I could bring myself to admit the identity of the wan being before me with the companion of my early boyhood. Yet the character of his face had been at all times remarkable a cadaverousness of complexion, an eye large, liquid, and luminous beyond comparison, lips somewhat thin and very pallid, but of a surpassingly beautiful curve, a nose of delicate Hebrew model, but with a breadth of nostril, unusual and similar formations, a finely molded chin, speaking in its want of prominence, of a want of moral energy, hair of a more than web-like softness and tenuity. These features, with an inordinate expansion above the regions of the temple, made up altogether a countenance not easily to be forgotten. And now, in the mere exaggeration of the prevailing character of these features and of the expression they were wont to convey, lay so much of change that I doubted to whom I spoke. The now ghastly pallor of the skin, and the now miraculous luster of the eye, above all things startled and even awed me. The silken hair, too, had been suffered to grow all unheeded, and as, in its wild gossamer texture, It floated rather than fell about the face. I could not, even with effort, connect its arabesque expression with any idea of simple humanity. In the manner of my friend, I was at once struck with an incoherence, an inconsistency, and I soon found this to arise from a series of feeble and futile struggles to overcome an habitual trepidancy. An excessive, nervous agitation. For something of this nature, I had indeed been prepared, no less by his letter than by the reminiscences of certain boyish traits than by conclusions deduced from his particular physical conformation and temperament. His action was alternately vivacious and sullen. His voice varied rapidly from a tremulous indecision which the animal spirit seemed utterly in abeyance to that species of energetic concision, that abrupt, weighty, unhurried, and hollow-sounding enunciation, that leaden, self-balanced, and perfectly modulated guttural utterance which may be observed in the lost drunkard or the irreclaimable eater of opium, during the periods of his most intense excitement. It was thus that he spoke of the object of my visa, of his earnest desire to see me, and of the solace he expected me to afford him. He entered at some length into what he conceived to be the nature of his malady. It was, he said, of a constitutional and family evil and one for which he despaired to find a remedy a mere nervous affection he immediately added which would undoubtedly soon pass off it displayed itself in a host of unnatural sensations some of these as he detailed them interested and bewildered me although, perhaps, the terms and the general manner of the narration had their weight. He suffered much from a morbid acuteness of the senses. The most insipid food was alone and durable. He could wear only garments of certain texture. The odors of all flowers were oppressive. His eyes were tortured by even a faint light. And there were but peculiar sounds, and these from stringed instruments, which did not inspire him with horror. To an anomalous species of terror, I found him a bounden slave. I shall perish, said he. I must perish in this deplorable folly. Thus, thus, and not otherwise, shall I be lost. I dread the events of the future, not in themselves, but in their results. I shudder at the thought of any, even the most trivial, incident which may operate upon this intolerable agitation of the soul. I have, indeed, no abhorrence of danger, except in its absolute effect, in terror, in this unnerved, In this pitiable condition I feel that the period will sooner or later arrive when I must abandon life and reason together in some struggle with the grim phantasm, fear. I learned moreover at intervals and through broken and equivocal hints another singular feature of his mental condition He was enchained by certain superstitious impressions in regard to the dwelling which he tenanted, and whence, for many years, he had never ventured forth in regard to an influence whose superstitious force was conveyed in terms too shadowy here to be restated, an influence which some peculiarities in the mere form and substance of his family mansion had by dint of long-sufferance, he said, obtained over his spirit, an effect which the physique of the grey walls and turrets and of the dim tarn into which they all looked down had at length brought about upon the morale of his existence. He admitted, however, although with hesitation, that much of the peculiar gloom which thus afflicted him could be traced to a more natural and far more palpable origin, to the severe and long continued illness, indeed to the evidently approaching dissolution of a tenderly beloved sister, his sole companion for long years, his last and only relative on earth. Her decease, he said, with a bitterness which I can never forget, would leave him. Him, the hopeless and the frail, the last of the ancient race of the ushers. While he spoke, the Lady Madeline, for so was she called, passed slowly through a remote portion of the apartment, and without having noticed my presence, disappeared. I regarded her with an utter astonishment, not unmingled with dread, and yet I found it impossible to account for such feelings. A sensation of stupor oppressed me as my eyes followed her retreating steps. When a door at length closed upon her, my glance saw instinctively and eagerly the countenance of the brother. But he had buried his face in his hands, and I could only perceive that a far more than ordinary oneness had overspread the emaciated fingers through which trickled many passionate tears. The disease of the Lady Madeline had long baffled the skill of her physicians. A settled apathy, a gradual wasting away of the person, and frequent, although transient, affections of a partially cataleptical character with the unusual diagnosis. Hitherto, she had steadily borne up against the pressure of her malady and had not betaken herself finally to bed, but on the closing in of the evening of my arrival at the house, she succumbed, as her brother told me at night, with inexpressible agitation, to the prostrating power of the destroyer and I learned that the glimpse I had obtained of her person would thus probably be the last I should obtain, that the lady, at least while living, would be seen by me no more. For several days ensuing, her name was unmentioned by either Usher or myself, and during this period I was busied in earnest endeavors, to alleviate the melancholy of my friend. We painted and read together, or I listened, as if in a dream, to the wild improvisations of his speaking guitar. And thus, as a closer and still closer intimacy admitted me more unreservedly into the recesses of his spirit, the more bitterly did I perceive the futility of all attempt at cheering a mind, from which darkness, as if an inherent positive quality, poured forth upon all objects of the moral and physical universe in one unceasing radiation of gloom. I shall ever bear about me a memory of the many solemn hours I thus spent alone with the master of the house of Usher, yet I should fail in any attempt to convey an idea of the exact character of the studies or of the occupations in which he involved me or led me the way an excited and highly distempered ideality through a sulfurous luster over all his long improvised dirges will ring forever in my ears Among other things, I hold painfully in mind a certain singular perversion, an application of the wild air of the last waltz of von Weber, from the paintings over which his elaborate fancy brooded and which grew touch by touch into vagueness at which I shudder the more thrillingly because I shuddered knowing not why from these paintings vivid as their images now are before me I would in vain endeavor to induce more than a small portion which should lie within the compass of merely written words by the utter simplicity by the nakedness of his designs he arrested an overawed attention if ever mortal painted an idea that mortal was Roderick Usher. For me at least, in the circumstances then surrounding me, there arose of the pure abstractions which the hypochondriac contrived to throw upon his canvas an intensity of intolerable awe. No shadow of which fell I ever yet in the contemplation of the certainly glowing yet two concrete reveries of Fuselli. One of the phantasmagoric conceptions of my friend, partaking not so rigidly of the spirit of abstraction, may be shadowed forth, although feebly, in words. A small picture presented the interior of an immensely long and rectangular vault or tunnel, with low walls, smooth, white, and without interruption or device. Certain accessory points of the design served well to convey the idea that this excavation lay at an exceeding depth below the surface of the earth. No outlet was observed in any portion of its vast extent, and no torch or other artificial source of light, was discernible. Yet a flood of intense rays rolled throughout and bathed the whole in a ghastly and inappropriate splendor. I have just spoken of that morbid condition of the auditory nerve which rendered all music intolerable to the sufferer, with the exception of certain effects of stringed instruments. It was, perhaps, the narrow limits to which he thus confined himself upon the guitar which gave birth, in great measure, to the fantastic character of the performances. But the fervid facility of his impromptus could not be so accounted for. They must have been, and were, in the notes as well as in the words. Of his wild fantasias for he not unfrequently accompanied himself with rhymed verbal improvisations the result of that intense mental collectedness and concentration to which I have previously alluded as observable only in particular moments of the highest artificial excitement the words of one of these rhapsodies I have easily remembered I was, perhaps, the more forcibly impressed with it, as he gave it, because, in the under or mystic current of its meaning, I fancied that I perceived, for the first time, a full consciousness on the part of Usher, of the tottering of his lofty reason upon her throne. The verses, which were entitled The Haunted Palace, ran very nearly, if not accurately, thus. In the greenest of our valleys, by good angels tenanted, once a fair and stately palace, radiant palace reared its head, in the monarch thought's dominion, it stood there. Never Sarah spread opinion, over fabric half so fair. Banners yellow, glorious, golden, on its roof did float and flow. This, all this, was in the olden time long ago. And every gentle air that dallied in that sweet day, along the ramparts, blue and pallid, a winged odor went away. Wanderers in that happy valley, Through two luminous windows saw Spirits moving musically To a lute's well-tuned law Round about a throne Where sitting Porphyrogeny In state his glory well befitting The ruler of the realm was seen And all with pearl and ruby glowing Was the fair palace door through which came flowing, 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 and sparkling evermore a troop of echoes whose sweet duty was but to sing in voices of surpassing beauty the wit and wisdom of their king. But evil things in robes of sorrow assailed the monarch's high estate. Ah, let us mourn. For never morrow shall dawn upon him, desolate. And round about his home, the glory that blushed and bloomed, Is but a dim remembered story, of the old time entuned. And the travellers now, within that valley, Through the red lit windows see, Vast forms that move fantastically, to a discordant melody, Walk like a rapid ghastly river through the pale door, a hideous throng rush out forever and laugh but smile no more. I well remember that suggestions arising from this ballad led us into a train of thought wherein there became manifest an opinion of ushers which I mention not so much on account of its novelty or other men have thought thus as on account of its pertinacity with which he maintained it. This opinion in its general form was that of the sentience of all vegetable things. But in his disordered fancy The idea had assumed a more daring character and trespassed under certain conditions upon the kingdom of an organization. I lack words to express the full extent or the earnest abandon of his persuasion. The belief, however, was connected as I have previously hinted the gray stones of the home of his forefathers. The conditions of the sentience had been here, he imagined, fulfilled in the method of collocation of these stones, in the order of their arrangement, as well as of the many fungi which overspread them, and of the decayed trees which stood around above all In the long disturbed endurance of this arrangement, and in its reduplication in the still waters of the Tarn. Its evidence, the evidence of the sentience, was to be seen, he said, and here I started, as he spoke, in the gradual yet certain condensation of an atmosphere of their own about the waters and the walls. The result was discoverable, he added, in that silent yet importunate and terrible influence which for centuries had moulded the destinies of his family and which made him, but I now saw him, what he was. Such opinions need no comment, and I will make none.